Welcome to Claim the Stage, a podcast for women who want to discover, awaken, and create their voice through the art of public speaking. I'm your host, Angela Lucier, award-winning professional speaker, author, and CEO and founder of The Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. Welcome back, friends, to episode 133 of Claim the Stage. Today, we are talking about the misunderstood process of selling with Nikki Rausch. This topic has been talked about a couple times on the podcast, and today I wanted to bring it back because I think there's always more to learn about selling. It's a complex topic that brings up a lot of, I don't know, a lot of questions, a lot of feelings, a lot of concerns, especially for newer speakers who are trying to sell their business or sell a book from the stage, and for business owners who want to figure out how to use selling through speaking. And it can just get a little hairy and confusing. So I think today's guest does a great job of breaking it all down into steps that we can use both on stage and off. And she helps us to think about selling as a relationship process and not just about closing the sale. My favorite quote from the whole episode was, when the relationship is the priority, the sales process becomes super simple. So if that sounds interesting to you, I think you're going to like today's episode. But before we jump into it, let me tell you a little bit more about today's guest. Nikki Rausch has 25 years of experience selling to prestigious organizations like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Hewlett-Packard, and NASA. Uh, Nikki decided to trade in her road warrior status so she could help entrepreneurs sell in a way that helps relationships, creates true connection, and results in more closed deals and long-term clients. Now, as a sales coach, an author, a speaker, and founder of Sales Maven, Nikki transforms the misunderstood process of selling into techniques, tools, and tips that can be successfully incorporated into a process replicable by anyone whose livelihood relies on selling a product, a service, or themselves, like speakers. When she's not helping business owners move their clients along the selling staircase, Nikki enjoys taking in all the beauty that living in the Pacific Northwest affords her. We talk all about the selling staircase in today's episode and so much more. I do have a cold today, so I apologize if it's a little bit hard to hear me, but hopefully... It's not too big of a deal. We can get through it. So without further ado, here is today's interview with Nikki Rausch. All right, Nikki Rausch, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. We are talking about a subject that is so charged. We've talked about it before on the show, and it's one that we can't talk about enough. It's sales is something that brings up a lot of feelings. <laughs> it can bring up feel, feelings of fear. It can bring up feelings of ickiness, yeah. confusion. And I think we all can remember that, that used car salesman kind of persona that we want to stay away from. And on today's yes. show, we're going to talk about the misunderstood process of selling and how to do it right. And so I'm really excited to have you on the show. I know we can never talk about this subject enough. And before we get into some of your tips and your strategies, I'd love to hear about how you became a sales expert. I think this is so interesting because it's something that so many people want to stay away from. <laughs> Well, like most things in my life, I kind of fell into it, frankly. It was, uh, I had had some experience in selling, um, like 
you know, to put myself through college. And while I was in college, I had a project. And this project actually led me to my first corporate sales job. And so it was it was really kind of unintentional it became this this career path for me. And I am not in any stretch of the imagination what I think my personality is not what most people would consider like a more like a true born salesperson. I tend to be a little bit on the introverted side. I can be a little shy at times. And so going into this, you know, selling technology um, was kind of a stretch for me, but it was such a great opportunity for me to figure out kind of in that process of working around all of these professional sales reps and realizing, I think over the course of my career, that there isn't just one personality that is good at sales. I truly believe everybody can be good at sales. And it's really learning how to show up and let your true personality come through, be authentic and be strategic. And so that, you know, how I became the sales expert is I really committed to my craft and wanting to hone it. And I started in addition to actually selling for a living, like that's how I made my living was in sales. I also started studying neuro-linguistic programming. And if that's a new term for you or for anybody listening, it's really the study of communication because I was very curious in the way that people process information, the way that people speak to each other and how to have more of an impact. And so with my background in sales and NLP and kind of combining those and having years to actually go out and field test this, this is how I have now become the sales expert is being able to implement techniques in the like in an actual sales environment and a conversation, see what works, see what doesn't work, you know, how to make it better. And then now that's what I teach. I love that. I love that you figured out that being a good salesperson isn't about having to change yourself and become someone else, but to actually be yourself and then use strategies, right? Yeah. That's really huge. I think that's a big game changer too. Because I think a lot of shy people, a lot of people who are on the quieter side would think, oh, I could never be a salesperson. I'm not outgoing enough, but that's not the case. That's not necessary. No. And and through my sales career, I had the opportunity to work with hundreds of sales reps um, because at one point I was working at the manufacturer level. So I was supporting like distributor reps and dealer reps out in the field and getting to work with all these different, you know, really high producing salespeople and starting to understand that there was no one way to do it, that they all had very different personalities. They just were all very strategic in the way that they used their personality and um, and really kind of hone their craft, being willing to be a little uncomfortable, being willing to ask the questions that need to be asked in the selling process. Um, so yeah, it was it was I, I feel like I've had years and years of research <laughs> as a result of that. Yeah, I think that also applies to public speaking. You know, a lot of newer speakers think if they don't have that ability to just get out there and express themselves and jump around on stage that they'll never be good at it. But it's really about bringing yourself and then yeah, learning the craft. You yeah. mentioned neuro-linguistic programming earlier. And I want to talk about that for a second because I think it's something that it's like a not a buzzword, but it's a tool that we've heard about. And I know Tony Robbins talks about it. And mm-hmm. it's something that it's I think I've like peripherally known about for years, but I don't know that I've actually used it correctly. Can you give an example of how it works and how you've used it? 
So um, there's there's a lot of ways to use it. So I'll give you one example in a sales situation. Um, it's it's I, I always say like my fa- my all time favorite quote is "Blessed are the flexible, for you shall not be bent out of shape." <laughs> and so, to me, having NLP skills allows for you to add flexibility to your behavior to put the other person at ease because we like people who are like us. We prefer to be in conversations with people who have a similar style to us. We also think that when we meet somebody who's like us, we think those people are smart. Like, you know, be be honest when you meet somebody who's like you, you're like, man, you are so smart. Like we <laughs> yeah. think alike, right? And so one way that you can instantly apply kind of an NLP technique to somebody who has a little bit of a different style than you is to pay attention to their rate of speech. Everybody has like a certain rate of speech. Some people talk really, really fast. Other people really take their time when they're speaking. And in order to be in conversation with somebody and make it easy for them to stay in conversation with you, pay attention to their rate of speech and be willing to either slow down a little bit if you're a fast talker and you're talking to somebody who has a slower rate, or if you have a slower rate and you're talking to somebody who's a really, really fast talker, be willing to speed up just a little bit to make the conversation more comfortable. That's like a really like simple example, but I love that example. And I teach it a lot because it works when you're on the phone with people. It works when you're in the front of the room as you know, answering questions as a speaker. And it also works when you're face-to-face just having a conversation with anybody in your life. Mm-hmm. I've heard of mirroring. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Matching okay. and mirroring. And I think body language also applies there too, right? If someone's standing with their hands crossed in front of them, then you might want to do the same thing. Similar. Yeah. I always say you never want to match like everything about the other person. So you always pick like one or two things and you really only need to match somebody about 50 to 60%. The the most important thing is you don't want to be mismatching somebody. So for instance, if you're talking to somebody who you know, doesn't really move their hands a lot when they talk. And you're somebody who's like a really big hand gesture talker. Like, you know, those people, I'm one of them. Like sometimes I feel like I can really articulate a point better if my hands can be involved. Right. And so if you're sitting across from somebody who doesn't really use a lot of hand gestures when they're speaking, it can be kind of annoying and distracting if I'm sitting there like wildly gesturing with my hands. So it's an indication that, oh, I probably would do better to be in conversation with this person if I could relax my hands, let them be at my side and um, stay in the conversation. It'll be easier for the other person. So I have a question about authenticity here because yeah, it's not that you're not being yourself by not using your hands, but you're changing yourself to try and, I don't know, win over the other person or at least get on the same page with them. Yeah, it's it's really about adding some flexibility. You know, the the person who is the most flexible in any conversation has the most power. And they say that about negotiations, right? Like when you're in a high stress, high stakes negotiation, the the person who has the most flexibility has the most power. And so it isn't about being inauthentic. It's not trying to it's not showing up and being like, "Oh, you like golf? I like golf." "Oh, you like, you know, this type of food. I love that type of food. Like that is inauthentic. 
right? Because, in, well, unless you really do like those things, but I don't really like golf, right? And there are certain foods I wouldn't say that I liked because I don't care for them, right? So be yourself, but at the same time, be willing to be flexible to put the other person at ease. And what happens in a conversation, when you're willing to adjust to the other person a bit, they start to adjust to you as well. It happens naturally. Like it, it's more comfortable for them to start to adjust to you as well. And so you kind of find this middle ground where you both are just making it really easy for each other to be in conversation. I like that. Why do you think the sales process is so misunderstood? Well, I think it gets a bad rap because we've all seen it done poorly. We've all been on the, you know, on the receiving end of somebody who um, is coming across really aggressive or pushy or it feels really yucky. I always say nine times out of 10 in my, my experience, people who do come across like salesy or pushy or aggressive aren't truly being their natural personality style. They're trying to sell like somebody else, which is why it doesn't work, which is why it feels inauthentic. Because we have all been in sales situations where we've been the buyer and somebody has had a little bit of an aggressive personality, but we've been okay with it. Like, oh, this person is a little aggressive or this person is high energy... But I kind of like that about them. And usually it's because that is their authentic self. And so when you're trying to sell like somebody else and you're trying to like push and like somebody told me I'm supposed to never take no for an answer, right? Like those people, we don't like those people. Those people feel gross. So I think that's why it's misunderstood is because we hear all the time, like in order to be successful at sales, you have to be aggressive. And in order to be successful at sales, you can't take no for an answer. None of those things are true. But I think that's why it's misunderstood. Gotcha. Now you use something in your work called the selling staircase. Can you share what that is and how you use it? Yeah. So the selling staircase is my five-step approach to sales. And I really focus on the conversation side of selling. And so I always say, it's your job to move a client from step to step to step. So I call it the selling staircase because I want you moving people up the steps. And the five steps... There's five steps in the selling staircase. The first one is the introduction step. This is when you are either meeting somebody for a first time and you want to make a powerful first impression. And or it can also be that you are introducing the concept of what you do to somebody that maybe you've known for a while. So that's that introduction step. Step two in the selling process is creating curiosity. If you don't know how to create curiosity when you're in conversation with somebody, it makes it really hard to ever get to the place where you exchange dollars for services. So that's step two in the process. And I can give you examples of each of these steps or tips in each. You you let me know. But the third step is the discovery. That's when somebody's expressed some curiosity. They've expressed a little bit of interest. And now it's your job in the discovery step to understand what's their problem, what's their need, what's their want, and ask the right questions so that you can then move to step four, which is the proposal. And that is lay out a clear way for them to get their need met, their want you know, fulfilled by hiring you. So that's the proposal piece. And then step five is the close. And that's actually where you issue that close language. And the reason I teach this five-step approach is because I find that oftentimes, especially people who aren't really comfortable with the selling process, 
is they try to skip steps. Like I meet you and I go right in for like, Hey, Angela, you seem like a really nice person. Um, would you like to buy from me? <laughs> or like, what? <laughs> Who are you? And thank you for saying I'm a nice person, but that's not enough, right? So the reason I teach these five steps is because you cannot just skip steps in the process and expect people to just show up and pay you money. That's not how it works. And so there are these, you know, logical ways that you strategically move somebody through a conversation so that you get to the place where once you've expressed some interest, I've been able to talk about ways that we might work together. Then I can ask you, like, is this something you'd be interested in? And it allows for you to say yes or no. Can we role play the seven steps? I mean, the five steps? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So the first one would be if we're meeting for the first time. So I, one of the things I always say in step one, one of the most missed steps in the introduction phase is when you're meeting somebody for the first time, we often forget to say our name and that diminishes your credibility. So if I'm going to meet you, I'm not going to just like, let's say you come up to me and you go, actually, let's do this because you said you want to role play. If you would be just start with like, hi, I'm Angela. Hey, I'm Angela. Hi, Angela. I'm Nikki Roush. I'm always going to say my name. I'm not going to just say, oh, hi. It's nice to meet you. Yeah. Can I add one thing here? Yeah, please. I was talking with a PR firm a few months ago and I scheduled a call through LinkedIn with the CEO of the company. And he said, let's do this through Zoom. I got on the call and I thought that this person looks different than he did in his LinkedIn profile, but not that different. So maybe... Maybe it's the same person. He never said his name. We had an hour long phone call and then we had a follow up Zoom meeting for another hour. And after two hours of talking to this guy, I never got his name. And he he tried to sell me a $12,000 a month PR package and I didn't buy it because I never knew his name. (laughs) Oh my gosh. This is like the perfect example. This couldn't have been a better example of why it's so important that people know who they're speaking to. Yeah. Right? Like, Oh my gosh. I love that. And I'm sorry that was your experience, but I love that you have such a great example there. Um, It's so important that you, you know, extend yourself in some way. Like even when as a speaker, I'm at the front of the room, I've just come off stage and people come over and introduce themselves to me. And they're like, you know, hi, I'm Sarah. I've just been on stage. I don't just assume that they know my name. I always say, hi, I'm Nikki. It's nice to meet you. Right? Like I still give that same... I try to anyway. Maybe I have missed it. Now I'm like thinking, now when we got on the Zoom call this morning, did I say my name? I'm not sure if I did. But the fact of the matter is, it's so important that you make sure that you're establishing like, who are you? Because it's... I don't know about you. If at some point, did you ever feel awkward? Like, should I ask his name? But now I feel weird because we've been on the call for so long. Oh yeah. After half an hour, I thought maybe I should ask him his name and also who, like, what he does in the company. Because I don't think yeah. this is the same person. But then I felt weird and I didn't want to ruin the flow of the conversation. <laughs> And see, and the thing is, is that you are in the position of being the client. Like it's your money on the line in that particular situation. You shouldn't have to extend yourself. That's his job. 
Like that is a hundred percent his job to make you comfortable. And if there was any part of that hour that you spent on that first call with him that you spent thinking, like, I don't know, this something feels off here. Should I say something? Should I speak up? Should I ask his name? That diminishes rapport because you know, you that shouldn't have been, he should have been more focused on like what's going on for you? How can he make the conversation easy? Let's move to step two, create curiosity. Yeah. I love step two and creating curiosity. So the way, one of the easiest ways to create curiosity in a conversation with somebody is how you answer questions. So for instance, a really basic question that we all get asked all the time is, how are you? Right? Like, I don't know how many times you've been asked that already this month, but probably a few. (laughs) Now... If you're in the position of wanting to earn somebody's business, saying fine or good or whatever, it's not enough. And so I always say, create these, these are called, I call them here kitty kitty statements. Like, pretend like you're calling a cat. Like, we want to create enough curiosity that the other person has a follow up question. So if you ask me right now, hey, how are you? I could say a myriad of things, but I'm probably going to say something that's related to my business in some way because I'm, I'm, I'm checking to see, are you a potential client? So if you say, Hey, Nikki, how are you? I might say, Oh, I am fantastic. I am super excited to share that I have 1100 books that just got sent out, um, you know, to a, to a new client. Now that might cause it may you may be like well that's nice good for you move on but it may also make you go like oh you wrote a book like what's your book about or oh what what are you doing with what's somebody doing with 1100 of your books right <laughs> like only say things that are true but plant some seeds to see if somebody's going to ask you a follow-up question because if the other person does ask the follow-up question it makes it really easy then for us to start to talk about business to see, are you a potential client or not? Hmm, I love that. What would you do for step three discovery? Yeah. So step three is if we're, if I'm creating some curiosity and you're wanting to know more, like let's say that I talk about, let's pretend that you asked me about my book and I talk about that it's the selling staircase and, and you're like, that's so interesting. I I probably could use some help with sales. So now I'm going to issue an invitation to you. I'm going to say, Oh, is that something you'd like to chat about more? Like we, you know, can I ask you a couple questions? Now we're in the discovery phase. If you say yes, <laughs> I have to wait for you to say yes, right? I have to get your permission to move to the discovery phase. Now, if we're in a setting where it doesn't make sense for us to have that conversation there, I'm going to say, what do you think about us scheduling a time to chat? Like, let's get it on our calendars now. Do you want to talk? Like, I have some time tomorrow. Do you want to talk tomorrow? I have some time at 10. And let's say we schedule it and then we get on the call. And in the discovery, what I'm going to do first and foremost is I want to put your, your mind at ease. So I'm going to pre-frame what the purpose of the call is. So I might say to you, so Angela, the purpose of our call today is to find out a little bit more about what's going on with you and your sales and see if there's some way I might be a resource for you. Is it okay if I start with a couple quick questions? 
I love that. And I also love that not only does it help everyone understand the purpose of the call, but to also build trust. Because I know I've gotten on the phone with someone under the assumption that we are talking about one thing and then five minutes in, it switches to a completely different topic. And they just use that as the bait to get on the phone. Oh, And now I feel uncomfortable because I'm being sold something I don't want and didn't ask for. But it was the bait and switch. And that really doesn't make me feel like I want to buy anything. No. Yes. Never bait and switch people. Like if if you are using that as your catalyst to get people on the phone, you are really diminishing your rapport. You're creating a really horrible reputation for yourself in the marketplace because, you know, like like we all know, people talk about this stuff. Like when people do that, like every once in a while, somebody will schedule a selling... I, I offer a selling strength assessment. It's something that I do for people who want to find out more about like what's working in their selling skills. And every once in a while, someone will schedule a selling strength assessment with me only so they can get me on the phone to try to sell me whatever their service is. And I am so angry in those moments because I feel like you just wasted my time this time could have been used to do something to grow my business or it could have been used to work with somebody who really would have liked to have that time with me and learn something about themselves. And I will never give my money to people that do that. Yeah. It's it's not a good place to start. Yeah. So we always want to create safety on the discovery. Like create safety, let people know. And if you are going to try to sell to them and, and they're not prepared for it, well, I'm going to say you made a mistake, but you better be upfront about it. Yeah. So let's go to step four, the proposal. So let's say that we, you know, we've talked a little bit and I have um, some ideas of ways that we might work together. In order to get to proposal, what I'm going to say is, you know, based on everything we've talked about so far, Angela, I do see a couple ways that we could work together and solve this particular issue for you. Would you be interested in hearing about those? Like, I'm not going to just start to sell you. I'm going to ask your permission to lay out an offer for you. And then when I do lay out my offer, let's hopefully you say yes, right? And you're like, sure, Nikki, like, tell me more about how to work together. Then I might clearly, I'm going to clearly lay out um, one way for us to work together. Or if there are a few ways, I'm going to give you up to three. I'm never going to give you more than three ways for us to work together because I think even though I have probably 10 ways you could work with me, if I tell you all 10, I'm going to overwhelm you and cause you to go into like either decision fatigue or just complete overwhelm and you won't make a decision. So when you lay out your proposal, I always recommend also doing top-down selling. So you're going to lay out the most expensive option first, and then you're going to work your way down. So most people will start at the least expensive option and then work their way up. And that is a mistake. And the reason it's a mistake is because as humans, we don't like to have things taken away from us. So you don't want to recommend something somebody doesn't need because that's out of integrity. But let's say you and I talked about it. And my recommendation for you would be either for us to do maybe a VIP day, kind of next step down would be a strategy session. But I know that the work that we would do in a VIP day is going to have way more impact on your business so I'm going to say, you know, my recommendation would be for us to do a VIP day and here's what's included in it. And if you're not quite ready to go there, we could also look at just doing a 50-minute strategy session together. And then I'm going to issue... This This now moves us to step five. I'm going to issue closed language. I'm going to say, now, based on those two options, which is the best fit for you right now? 
and then I'm going to wait. I'm going to zip it and wait. (laughs) That's hard, right? (laughs) It is. It can be. Yeah. And then, and then I have to, I have to see what you're, what you say next. Like, I cannot say anything until you say something else. Till you say like, I want to think about it, or that sounds great, Nikki, let's move forward with a VIP day or whatever your answer is. Like, I don't know what to do next until I hear your response to that question. And then once you've got your answer, it's time to move into creating a contract or... Yeah. Yeah. Like um, I often take, when somebody says to me, like, I really would like to do the VIP day, then I go, great, let's get it scheduled. Let's pick a date. And then we go to our calendars and we pick a date and I go, great. Now, how would you like to pay for that? And I take payment right there in that in that call. Oftentimes, unless there's a reason somebody, you know, is like, can you invoice me? Or, you know, could I pay it next week or whatever, like whatever their reason is. But nine times out of 10, people pay me right on the phone the first time or right on that, that call the first time. Okay. Now, what are your favorite sales techniques or how do you apply the selling staircase if you're speaking on a stage or using speaking to sell your business? Well, you definitely want to apply curiosity. (laughs) So I always say one of the other ways to apply curiosity, especially when speaking, is you want to plant seeds. So for instance, you don't want to just go up there and deliver your content and be done. You need to work storytelling into your speaking because one, it's more memorable to the audience. But the other thing it does is it plants seeds. When you tell a story... People oftentimes, the listeners of a story, oftentimes will find themselves in the story. They'll find something about that story to relate to their own life in some way. And so you want to plant some seeds in the front of the room so that people start to think about like, oh, well, when I work with Nikki, I'm going to get these types of results. So um, one of the ways to plant seeds, for instance, is... Let's say that somebody has a question about something that you're speaking about. Now, you can just answer their question, but that doesn't really plant the seed. So I would say in those moments, when somebody asks me a question, I might say, you know, that's a great question. It's something that I often uh, work with people during their VIP days. Here is one piece that I'm going to give you just to get you started. Because when I say oh, I work with people in VIP days that plants the seed. Oh, Nikki does VIP days. And when I say, here's one thing to get you started, that also implies... When you say, there's one, here's one thing, that also usually implies there's a second and maybe a third. So there's more. Yeah. I love that. You're- so plant seeds and issue invitations. <laughs> like invite people. Like If that's something you'd like more information on, come talk to me after and I'd be happy to share with you. I love this super intentional speech and every sentence is crafted in such a way that it it does create curiosity and it is an invitation. And it's not that different from saying it. It's instead you're sort of offering it. And yeah, yeah, I like that. What are the biggest mistakes you see speakers and business owners make when it comes to selling? One of the biggest mistakes that I see speakers make is that they don't issue those they don't plant seeds and they don't issue invitations they don't clearly lay out what is a next step for somebody to work with you 
Now, sometimes, you know, you'll get a speaking gig and they'll say, absolutely no selling from the stage and you need to be more strategic in the way that you do that. But oftentimes they'll let you make some type of an offer at the end and make sure that you're doing that. Oftentimes I hear speakers will say like, oh, I chickened out. And I get, I get that it can feel a little uncomfortable. But one of the ways that um, I suggest that you do it, if you know you're going to give an offer at the end, you should pre-frame at the beginning of your talk that an offer is going to come because then people are expecting it. They're waiting for it. And now you've put yourself out there and you kind of have to do it. So one of the ways that I would pre-frame at the beginning of a speech is, or a talk is often I'll say, you know, the topic that we're going to talk about today is this. Now, many of you are going to want more and I have a way for you to get that at the end. So I'll tell you about that before we open it up to Q&A. Okay, let's get started. So I just pre-framed. Guess what? There's an offer coming. And then people are ready for it at the end. You get to the end of your talk and you go, okay, now before I open it up to questions, I promise that I have a special offer for those of you in the room. Here it is. And now, now you just lay it out. Mm-hmm. I like that. All right. Let's talk about the rejection piece of mm. the fear that comes with selling. What would you say to someone who's hesitant to make a pitch because they're afraid of hearing a no? When when you're afraid of hearing the no, oftentimes it's because you're really focused on like you, right? Like most of us think the whole world revolves around us. Like everything that happens is because of me, to me, or against me, right? Like that's just how our kind of brains work. But unfortunately, we forget that everybody else that's walking around thinks the world revolves around them. And when you don't make a pitch oftentimes people then miss out on what you can actually bring to them and offer to them and make some type of difference in their world. It's just like, I always say, this is why you have to ask for the sale. Just like you have to ask you know, with that pitch too, is that it isn't about you if the answer is no. Like we, we often think that a no in sales or a no to a pitch is like they are personally rejecting me as a person. But often that's not the case. And one of the ways that I describe this is like, imagine that you go out and you have this really delicious meal at like this fantastic restaurant. Everything is just so amazing. And at the end, you know, the waiter comes over and says, now, would you like to see the dessert menu? And you go, oh no, I couldn't possibly. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with my meal. I'm full. I'm good. Thank you so much. Like the waiter doesn't go back behind the counter and go over to their coworkers and be like, oh, can you believe her? She totally rejected me. I offered her dessert and she said no. And so I think when you're making a pitch and you get a no, you just have to you have to look at it like, okay, they declined dessert. Like that's all it is. It's not rejection. It's not personal. I love that example so much. I think it's really perfect. And I can, I can see myself at a restaurant and saying no to a waiter and not feeling like, oh, I just ruined that person's day. And then also really kind of seeing the waiter be like, okay, moving on with my life here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but not feeling the same way when talking to a business owner who takes the work really personally. Yeah. So just from a customer's perspective, like I can hear what you're saying. And then also from the business owner's perspective too. Um, can you share a couple of your favorite sales tips before we wrap up? One of my favorite sales tips is make sure that you're actually getting the words out of your mouth and asking for the sale. Most people 
oftentimes will not make a decision, a conscious decision to take the next step with you until you ask. So just like back to this idea of pitching, oftentimes people won't even think that you would be interested in speaking to their group unless you pitch to the group, right? They won't even like seek you out because maybe they feel like, oh, she's probably you know, she's too big to speak to our group or we can't afford her. They come up with all kinds of reasons. So make sure you're asking, just like when you're having a conversation with somebody that you would like to earn their business, it's totally fine to say, you know, is this something you'd be interested in talking about more? Like ask for that sale. I think that is like, if there's only one tip that I could ever give around sales, it would be that. I love that. Is there anything else you want to share? Um, let's see. As far as sales go, I guess the other thing that I would want to share is that be willing to be willing to put the relationship first between you and the other person. So if you approach everybody like they're a wallet or a dollar sign, you're going to be turning people off. So focus on building rapport with the people who you would like to have some relationship with and you don't need to make every single conversation a sales conversation. It's totally okay to build some relationship. Now, if you spend all your time building relationship, you're missing the boat there. You're missing on opportunities to work with some of your you know, ideal clients. And remember that when the relationship is the priority, the selling process gets so much easier because it's so much easier when you know somebody, they like you, they believe in you to take that next step and work together. I love that. How can we get more information about you? A uh, super simple way to get more information about me, which will involve giving your your audience a little gift from me if that's okay. You can go to my website, which is yoursalesmaven.com. And if you go slash to CTS, so Claiming the Stage, you can download my ebook on Closing the Sale where I give a little bit more tips and uh, language suggestions for you there. So it's yoursalesmaven.com forward slash CTS. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was really great to have you on the show today and hear more about how to make selling easier and more fun and relationship-based. Thank you so much. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Nikki Rausch. Got some good tips. I did include links in the show notes if you want to download that free offering she offered in the episode. And if you have any ideas for future guests or topics you'd like to hear covered on my show, please email me, Angela at speakersisterhood.com. This episode was produced by Speaker Sisterhood in Holyoke, Massachusetts in the Glitter Closet. And as always, my friends, stop waiting, start creating. I'll see you next time.